Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Right to Reply, Six Wives! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Hello! And welcome to Rex Factor, where today we're not reviewing all the Queen and Prince Consorts of England, but we are talking about them. This is a Right to Reply episode, reflecting back on the mini-series just passed, before we move on to the next lot, and going through some of your messages about the Queen. So today, it's your messages about the six wives of Henry VIII. Um, as ever, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, where we are at Rex Factor Pod. Like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page, and email us at rexfactorpodcast.hotmail.com. And now is, if you're listening to this late and still have something to say about the six wives, we still like to read out messages uh, from long ago in our messages and previews podcast. Yeah. Always nice to have a message, isn't it? It is, exactly. Um, and also a reminder, if you'd like to hear more of us, you can join the Privy Council by supporting us on patreon.com forward slash Rex Factor and get access to over 150 bonus podcasts. Before we get to your messages and the six wives of Henry VIII, Ali, I've got a little challenge for you. Can you remember who the six wives of Henry VIII are? I, I bloomin' can. Um... I did them backwards the other day. You oh, did. Well, hang on. Let, yeah, let's go difficult. forwards if we can. Okay. Uh, so, big old Rex Factor winner, um, Catherine of Aragon. Number one. I knew if, if I got the first one, I'd <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would. <laughs> it's uh, a downward spiral from there. <laughs> um, um, Anne Boleyn. Yeah. Uh, divorce me. Uh, Jane Seymour. Yeah. Who now, because, yes, exactly. The one, she's the one, the one that, that you... I always confuse with the next one. No. <laughs> well, you confuse her. I'll tell. Okay, tell you. Who, you say who you think's next, and I'll say whether she's the one you confuse her with. Um. All I want to say is uh, Miley Cyrus, but I don't even mean her, do I? I she mean, is um, the one that you. She's the, <laughs> she's the one that you confuse with a little pop star that you equate with the fifth wife of Henry the Eighth. Who's that? Her? Who's that? Uh, well, you'll be telling me in a moment. But because do your rhyme that you did at the start, divorce, beheaded, died, died, divorce. Oh, um, uh, yes, of course. Um, Anne of Cleves. Ah, thank you. Divorced, and this. So this is. Um, this is. Uh, hmm. You decided is, in the end that it was Ariana Jane, Grande Jane. was who you met. Ariana Grande. That's it. Jane Seymour, but it's not Jane Seymour, which yes. means that it's not Ariana Grande or Miley Cyrus. So therefore, it must be. Uh, 
Oh, goodness sake. <laughs> um, hang on. Leave it with me. This is normally the stuff we edit at, out. Um, divorce Petty died. Divorced, so not Jane Seymour, so Catherine Howard. Yay! Then my favourite of them all, Capar. Exactly. Ah, well, that's that's pretty good. Went round the houses, <laughs> but we got there. That's what you pay for in this? It's tour. the challenge now with Catherine Howard that you have to remember Miley Cyrus and Ariana Grande before you can remember. Her and then, name. and then the fact that it's Jane Seymour, so therefore it's not her. <laughs> yes. It's uh, it's Catherine Howard. Yeah. Thank you. A quick stat attack on the six wise before we get to the messages. Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn were impressively the joint top scorers with 58. That is somehow correct, isn't it? It feels yeah. right. <laughs> it was exactly the same. Yeah. Catherine Parr, third with 48.5. Then it was Jane Seymour, 30.5. Catherine Howard, 28.5. And Anne of Cleves, just seven. And also, I think it works out well with Catherine Parr. Uh, being third because she was wronged. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? She like had a penalty that went against her and, and as everyone knows, that was third place. But you know. yeah. it's like the All Blacks in 1995. They were the best. But you know. <laughs> uh, Catherine Aragon was top scorer for battliness with 19.5 and longevity with 15. Of course, her longevity, i.e. her time as queen, was longer than the other five combined. Mm. Such There's was so Henry's many rush. weird statistics around this. Oh, I mean, this is your heaven, isn't it? And this. Anvilin was joint top for Scandal with Catherine Howard, both scoring 20. That seems odd on reflection. I think Anne Boleyn should almost certainly have got more now. We have a message on that, actually, so we will come to that with uh, Catherine okay. Howard. Um, so I'm, I'm not ignoring that point. Mm. <laughs> we'll park it Hold and come fire. back to it. Um, Catherine Parr top for subjectivity with 18. Nice, good. Also, it was just uh, the first three, Catherine Arauk and Amberlynn and Jane Seymour, who scored anything at all for Dynasty, because they each had one surviving child. So technically, they are joint first for Dynasty. The second three obviously didn't have any. Mm. Uh, So technically, that means that all of them were at least joint top for something, except Anne of Cleves, so she was the last surviving of the wives. Anyway, that's a little bit of stats from me, a bit of memory from Alex. From Alex. <laughs> I mean, to, be fair, to be fair, we'll give him a go and see. <laughs> I knew you were lining him up. That's why you birthed him. <laughs> now let's listen to your messages. General. Now, as hard as it may be to believe, as well researched as the podcast is, I do sometimes make errors. No. So we've got some corrections from our Six Wives episodes. First up, Rose Granados. Uh, She says, I've just discovered Rex Factor. Really entertaining. Hilarious. I love the two series on Catherine of Aragon. One of my favourite queens, maybe because I'm Spanish myself. Just one thing. Charles I of Spain and V of Germany. There's been no Charles V of Spain so far. Charles the what of Spain is... So this is the complication that Charles, who is the big chap in lots of episodes from Spain, he's both the King of Spain and the Holy Roman Emperor. Yeah. So he's Jeez. often referred to as Charles V. Yeah. But he's Charles V in his when he's wearing his Holy Roman Emperor hat. He's not the fifth King Charles of Spain. Oh, what number is he there? The first. He's just Charles I of Spain. So his regnal numbers are specific to the different crowns. And I think in those episodes, I referred to him at one point as Charles V of Spain, but he's not Charles V of Spain. He's Charles V of, say, Germany or the Holy Roman Empire. 
Is there a Charles V of Spain? Uh, no, as she said, there has been no Charles V of Spain so far. Ah. Oh, I don't think of Charles as a terrifically Spanish name, but... Carlos. Yeah, there you go. It's... They, yeah. <laughs> But that's a good point, though, yes. I think after I saw her email after the Catherine messages, and I did then, uh, Catherine podcast, and I think I did then largely refer to him as effectively the Emperor and Charles V, just to avoid making that slip. But it's a good point. Different titles, different numbers. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, lest we forget our fair Scottish monarch, Jolly James VI. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, also in Catherine's episodes on Bjorn, he says, hang on, Isabella was, quote, the only Queen Regnant in 15th century Europe. And he then linked to Margaret I of Denmark, who was Queen Regnant of Denmark from 1387 to 1412, which is just, of course, into the 15th century. What? But we're way beyond that. We're well, the- we are, but uh, we were talking about Catherine Aragon's mother, who is oh. Isabella of Castile. Oh, so I think what I should have said was Isabella was the only Queen Regnant at that time in the 15th century, i.e. living and reigning when she well, was around. Well, only one for 100 years either side, mm. thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good, a once-in-a-200-year event. <laughs> but never again. <laughs> no, but yes, that's a good point. Isabella was the only one at the time, but wasn't the only one uh, in the whole of the 15th century. Right. So you've got Margaret in Denmark earlier on. She Isabella sounds good. later on. Hmm. Uh, moving on to Anne Boleyn now. This is from Simon and Jess. You referred to Anne being the first woman to get an aristocratic title created in her own right, but her own five times great-grandmother, Margaret Marshall, Brotherton, Seagrave, Manny, second husband was that, Manny! Uh, she was created the first Duchess of Norfolk in her own right in 1397, so she beats Anne by well over a century. I think Anne was the second, though. Wow. Good knowledge. Now, this is an interesting point, but I am still technically correct on this one. So Margaret no. Brotherton, and all the other names, was made Duke, uh, was made Duchess of Norfolk in her own right, but she was the oldest surviving child of Thomas Brotherton, who was a son of Edward I, and he was the Duke of Norfolk. So Margaret had a pre-existing familial claim to the Duchy ah. of Norfolk, whereas mm. Anne and indeed the Boleyn family, don't have any claim at all to Pembroke. So, And indeed her father's still alive and has a title. So Anne Boleyn has created the Marquis, Marquess of Pembroke, completely out of nothing. Mm. She's just elevated the peerage from nowhere in terms of that title, whereas Margaret of Brotherton actually has a claim to the yeah. Duchy of Norfolk. Why didn't she get any of that sort of um, new money mud thrown at her like Cromwell did? New, yeah, and he was more new man, wasn't he? Not yeah, yeah. Because the the Boleyn family are they are a noble family, mm. so it's not that they they don't have any sort of nobility to them at all. Mm. Uh, but Anne is created uh, is elevated to the peerage with the Pembroke title. They don't have any claim to that. That's purely for her. Yeah, she's already in the club, but she's mm. got into a different room. Yeah. So and she's now, the first woman allowed into that room. Yeah, and Cromwell's come in with. A, with the dress code flaunted. <laughs> uh, but yes, it's an interesting point. Worth, worth knowing the difference there. There is a subtle difference there. Mm. Now, Masva has a correction from the Anne of Cleves episode. Graham, you say that Christina of Denmark, Duchess Consort of Milan, is the daughter of the deposed King Christian III of Denmark. 
that is not correct. She was the daughter of Christian II, who was deposed in 1523. He was succeeded by his uncle Frederick I, and then Frederick's son, who was Christian III. Right, so. I mean, um, that's right at the very edges of, um, hmm. of even G-man's areas of expertise. And this the, is then the confusion, because Christian III was the reigning king of Denmark when Henry VIII was looking for a new bride. Oh, man. So that's the, the mix-up. So she's the yeah. daughter of Christian II, who was deposed, and Henry VIII is looking for a bride when Christian III is there. So Christian II and Christian III are cousins. Okay. Valerie Gataski made this correction in Catherine Howard's episode. Mm. Since Catherine and Anne Boleyn were first cousins, Catherine and Elizabeth Tudor, i.e. Elizabeth I, would be first cousins once removed, not second cousins, as I stated in the episode. Right. Now, I obviously, mean, know that you love your family tree stuff, so I'm surprised you didn't pick me up on it at the time. But uh, I, My cousin's daughter um, is doing some work for me. And I introduced her at a board meeting and just said, it's my cousin. <laughs> I didn't want to go into all that. Anyway, so but she is your first cousin once removed rather than your second cousin. Oh, is she? In case you'd worried about specifying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that has come up a lot of times and that's always been my answer. Hmm. Now, uh, so now I'll go with some knowledge. Uh, and finally, as a correction, Nancy Gill has one from the Catherine Parr episode. At one point, you mentioned that Henry was the first husband of the five previous wives, but that was not true of Catherine of Aragon, who may or may not have come to the marriage bed of virgin, but who had indeed been married before. Oh, yeah. So that's correct. Of course, she was uh, married to Henry's brother, Prince Arthur, which was indeed for her quite a pertinent (laughs) subject of her story with Henry. I suspect that this was a casualty of my editing down a very long first draft my notes for Catherine Parr's episode. So what I what I meant to be saying was that Catherine Parr was in a very different place from the other five wives because she'd had multiple marriages before mm. marrying Henry VIII. Um, and of course, Catherine of Aragon is only married to Prince Arthur f- uh, before he dies for a few months when uh, they were both uh, young teenagers, whereas Catherine Parr's got nearly 15 years of marriage experience before she yeah. marries Henry VIII. Um, so Catherine Parr was different. She does. It is a different sort of situation where she's twice married. She's been married for quite a long time for most of her mm. life. But Nancy's right. Catherine Rowgan is also a widow and she married Henry. So I did phrase that wrong. I see what you mean, though, that you can be married and not have been... You know, if you've been married for two weeks, that's not the same as having been married mm. for um, 15 years. Yeah. So the point, Stan, the, the essence yeah. of what I was getting at is correct, but it's wrong to phrase it in to suggest that none of them had married before because Catherine Rowgan had. Hmm. And her story with Henry would have been very different if she hadn't, although I'm sure he would have found some excuse to... Yeah, I'm, I, I've even forgotten which way around he was trying to argue it. Either way, he's <laughs> just dancing around that grey area. I'm sure, after about six or seven years, he'd forgotten. It's like, I don't, I don't care. I just don't want to be married to anymore. <laughs> We just stop pretending any of this matters. I just want to marry this one instead. I I mean, all the way through, uh, it's got such element of Emperor's New Clothes to it that is everyone must have been gagging just to <laughs> re- take the, the cloakable nonsense <clears throat> off it all and revealed it. Anyway, enough about me being wrong. We've had uh, a lot of people getting in touch about Six the Musical. Which it for is, anyone, anyone who doesn't ever know... Closer. Mm, it's a hit... <laughs> The hit musical about the six wives of Henry VIII, in which they, in sort of in the guise of a pop concert, uh, compete to see who has suffered the most from being married to Henry. 
so lots of people have been mentioning this to us, asking if we've seen it or if we're going to see it. So Cindy Gray said it's surprisingly historical accurate. Uh, at one point, Catherine Aragon even references Leviticus uh, in song. Catherine Hill quotes it, saying, Stick around and you'll suddenly see more, noting that all our episodes help clarify at least one line from the musical. And to sum it all up, Stephanie Haas. I find it so interesting how the writers wove these women's histories into pop-style songs, how each musician uh, the Queens are modelled on referenced their lives as well as fangirl over each historically accurate lyric and Easter egg. In honour of our most recent Rex Factor crowned consort, I'll leave you with a quote from Six that I can just hear in Ali's voice. Gold star for Kathy Parr. I mean, like, that's a... That's a that lyric is absolutely from my canon isn't it it is i think you instead because you were going with the dolly parton rather than the slightly more up-to-date pop music yeah. that six goes for uh ended with yeehaw it's Catherine parr oh yeah uh but yeah so a lot of people have mentioned it to us and we didn't we didn't plan in advance so we've got our stuff coming up in terms of our interviews and things like that and stuff for the six wives and uh, we haven't hadn't planned anything advanced to do on the six wives so other than listening to it on spotify there's nothing that we've got time to do now but maybe uh maybe at some point in the future we should uh i think it would be relevant wouldn't it i mean i'm talking myself into this <laughs> the fact that also that you actually i think ariana grande may well be a bit of an inspiration for the Catherine Howard in the musical somebody was saying oh really which makes it seem even more pertinent but that does give a misleading sense of the extent to which Ali is actually in any way <laughs> well versed in the works of Ariana Grande oh yeah that's true but it does mean I think it does show that on some sort of uh, <laughs> su- a subconscious <clears throat> level me and the writers here are um, we're like some sort of fungi connecting tendrils <laughs> under the ground <laughs> <laughs> so I now really want to see it. What's going on here? Yeah. Oh, I have to go and what, see it, won't we? You've you've woven some magic over me. <laughs> Vanessa Murray wants to know, Ali, what has happened to your scandal bell, and where's it been for this six wives series with everything that's I, been going on? It's a very very good question. I've absolutely no idea. <laughs> I can see it in my mind. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, unlike your partner, you don't have a mind palace. You just have a. No, I've just got a, like a a, a uh, my daughter's sort of flip card book of my first apple. Uh, <laughs> yes, I have got um, Scandal Bell, but it it's white behind it. There's no uh, context. Must be up in that box somewhere. Hmm. Anyway, so we don't know. Ironically, I've got a version here because you know back when uh, I got them. We recorded mm. most of the podcasts in person. Yeah. <laughs> Which maybe yeah. we should have done today, actually, given that we've got an entire day of podcasting. Oh, yeah. Just didn't think about it. Next time. Next time. We'll get to the Stuarts yeah. and we'll have lots to do. We'll do it. Uh, some praise for you, Ali, from Tommy Ross. I do believe Ali's, quote, when you speak in cryptic crosswords, you see them everywhere, may be the most succinct description of Henry's paranoia we will ever hear. <laughs> <laughs> That that is that's profound, isn't it? It is profound. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a searching question from Janet Davies: Has reviewing the six wives made you reassess Henry? Me? Well, both of us. But you're still oh. with you. Um. Well, what did I think of him before? Well, it, it's been an interesting series for you because, on the one hand, you've been increasingly frustrated and cross with him, and yet, quite frequently, you also find yourself understanding exactly where he's coming from yeah that's happened hasn't it <laughs> that's happened i think what's actually happened is me uh i just have so much sympathy for becca 
you've reassessed your own behaviour rather than <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have, I've put myself well and truly in those big weird square shoes that he wears, and found myself wanting. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's a good question. I think it's one of the good, the interesting things about doing the consort series. That although obviously we are focused on the consort, not the monarch, but it does tell yeah. a similar story from a different angle. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, still, t- he's always been a, a, a an absolute tyrant, hasn't he? But no, I don't think. I just think he's he's always just been. I mean, he's Henry the Eighth. When you start cutting heads off, where can you go beyond that? <laughs> It is interesting. I think it's one of the difficulties in really sort of seeing the change is the fact that so much is sort of feels like it's changed by the time he's finished with Catherine of Aragon. Because obviously that mm. long period, you know, the 20 odd years that they're married together, when he goes mm. from 17 to this sort of middle-aged man, that yeah. you really get such a big change. He seems like such a different character at the start of that to where he is by the time. Such a different her. character. It's it's total um, Anakin Skywalker to Vader stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, it's so weird. So I mean, that's why I like that episode on what happened to him. Well, and we're going to be uh, talking to uh, Susanna Lipscomb. We're going to be interviewing her um, in a, one of these episodes coming up after this. So uh, it'll be a chance I'll get to my haircut. <laughs> get into that question a bit more. <laughs> bit more detail yeah I don't, it's interesting he surprises sometimes so like Anne of Cleves I was surprised that actually I felt he came across quite better than I would have expected because actually yeah. he always tries to be quite as considerate as he can to her he's always nice to her in person when she's there and then he does sort of provide for her quite well and it was interesting how after he dies that Edward the Sixth government really don't particularly want her around and doing anything and then suddenly she doesn't have any money whereas Henry was always kind of mm. topping her up at the end of the year so i thought actually and also how the the foreign policy situation that the mess cromwell had got him into it was more complex than just he's a deluded old guy that mm. thought well, she's people. not hot enough for me mm. um, even though there was still that aspect so yeah so that was sort of a surprising one but then yeah it's, it's particularly the, the last couple with Catherine howard and then Catherine. Par, where you just see what a horrible court it's become. Mm. Just you feel like anyone could be gone. Yeah, it feels yeah, and like it feels like you're. Uh, if you were to film it, a nice device would be that the same court that was so jolly and colourful in his early reign would be juxtaposed like this dark, lonely, cold environment now yeah. that it's become. Um, it's always a bright I, summer's day in the sort of Catherine Aragon and Berlin period. Yeah, and then it's this Miss Havisham type of thing. <laughs> uh, I guess um, I just find, yeah, he was such a, a, a tyrant. But with the Anne of Cleves business, it's almost like he couldn't believe his luck. <laughs> that he didn't have to kill her. She wasn't going to cause him any grief. That he was, she wasn't going to be a Catherine... Uh, of Aragon. Of Aragon, yeah. Mm. Um, so he's just sort of kept throwing money and running away, and she still seems to be quite nice. Okay, well, let's have Christmas. <laughs> you know, she, he, it's very tentative, and mm. it's a weird relationship for him to have. What um, what did Catherine Parr make of Anne of Cleves? Uh, I don't know. Did, she, did they meet? Like, no, they, Anne of Cleves made a bit of snarky comment about um, a fine 
burden Mistress Power has taken on her and apparently felt a bit irked that someone who was lower born and as far as she was concerned less attractive than her had somehow captured Henry's heart rather than because she wanted back in we recall Anne of Cleves at oh, that point oh yeah that was the point that she wanted back in yeah oh so I'm not sure if Catherine Parr ever had anything to do with Anne of Cleves but Anne of Cleves because she wanted back in so I feel like that. that's a missed opportunity they could have been great friends Parr and Cleves <laughs> Par and Cleves investigates. They could have taken control and care, I mean, of um, James? Edward. Edward. And, oh man, that would have been the business. <laughs> Catherine of Aragon. A lot of love for Catherine of Aragon. Uh, Rebecca Lafleur MacDonald said, Catherine of Aragon's always been my favourite. The woman was a rock. Yeah, true that. Uh, likewise, Erica Campbell loved both Catherine of Aragon episodes. Such a boss. Uh, Kevin Ryan picked out a couple of highlights from uh, Catherine's episodes. Cherries on the cake on top were then A, highlighting the relative length of her reign versus the other five, which we mentioned earlier, mm. and and time of her resistance to the divorce. The fact that it took about mm. six years from the oh, start yeah. to finish. And wow. B, the bending the knee might have been better discussion. I would things have been better for her and everyone if she'd just given up straight away rather than fighting that battle. What, what were our findings? Uh, well, yeah, bit of column A, bit of column B. There'll be a bit more debate about this later. We'll get to some messages okay. on that. Uh, a little cynically, Ella Leith says, I like her, not least because she just so happened to have a papal bull specifically saying it was totally fine if she and Arthur consummated. What are the odds? Uh, is that st- Yeah, so good, that. Every way he turns. <laughs> He's just got this, <laughs> this, this. Remember this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, Laurel Rush says, love this episode, had no idea about the ambassador bit. So that's her being the first female ambassador. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. And just as Ali, I was absolutely gobsmacked by that final letter. I, the one that she mm. writes to Henry. Uh, she is a much better, stronger person than I. I mean, absolutely agree. <laughs> In general, rather than specifically about Laurel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, about me. Not, uh... <laughs> uh, Chrissy Pax was also moved by Catherine's final letter to Henry. Uh, I enjoyed that immensely. Yes, that letter was very moving. Poor Catherine. I've never been a huge fan, a uh, huge Henry fan, but hearing the emotion and detail of his behaviour makes it even worse. Mm. All the stuff about her upbringing and attitude to Queen's Regnant also super interesting in the Queen Mary context. I oh, the fact that her daughter becomes queen regnant oh yeah 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 and just as strong hmm. uh, ms had her mind changed on Catherine. as a lifelong Anne fan i was prepared for a very uninspiring story of a mean old woman with more stubbornness than sense despite the fact that i've read several biographies of Catherine's. i was very pleasantly surprised to find myself on her side i might even argue on her behalf for the rex factor we did give it to her, didn't we? Yeah, we did, yes. But she's saying oh, right. that she has... Because there is... It's one that's interesting. It's not quite as strong as the sort of Ricardians and Richard III thing. But there is a sort of Catherine and Anne yeah. thing mm. in uh, um, some sort of history lovers. There is a bit of a rivalry there. It almost feels like you have to make a choice rather than that they can both be. Well, it sort of feels like with Anne, though, that it's not... It feel, I don't know this, but it feels like you couldn't really ever... She's not likeable. But you could... It's more like... You're either pro Catherine or say she could have handled it better. It's not that you're like massively <laughs> pro Anne, who's just God. I th- I just think. Well, I don't know. I think she's a bit of a pain in the bot bot. Well, I think you'll find there are a lot of people who are big, big Anne fans. Really? 
Yeah, I think probably of all the consorts, she'd be the one that would have the biggest fan club. That's not to say that she'll be the most popular of all history lovers, but in terms of those that are really passionate about one consort, one queen, I think Anne's probably the one. What? I mean, what do I think of her again? Maybe I'm just. I mean, you sort of invented that a little bit in there. I don't think that came across too much in the episode, but maybe it's just. Do I not think that? Um, I mean, a little bit. There is definitely, and certainly, a lot of people at the time did feel like she was very difficult and combative, and that's definitely the feeling I've been left with. I'd I'd like to know why I thought. (laughs) I I mean, it could just be you know the uh, the fact that we've had obviously Catherine of Aragon's episodes before her, and then we had Jane Seymour after that maybe there was that contrast there. And I think when we were doing Anne Boleyn, you were very much <laughs> with Anne, but maybe <laughs> once we moved on to somebody else. Yeah. Just, I mean, again, just like Henry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> while, while I'm with this one, all about her, but now she's gone, oh, I don't know what that was about. Let's not mention it again. That really is, that really is, that really, oh, God. <laughs> I don't like him, though. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> let a psychologist run with that one. <laughs> anyway, back to Catherine Aragon before we uh, get too deep into Ali's psyche. Um, her episode did provoke some debate, and there were some naysayers, as you say, particularly on that question of her intransigence in the divorce. So Julie Weber says, you say it was her piety that pushed her to fight for her marriage. From what I see, I think it was her pride. Mm. What, in uh, Catherine of Aragon? Yeah. Oh, no. well with the fact they were saying would it have been better if she had just accepted and gone off to a nunnery and was it really all about principle and piety and was it a little bit that you know she was like do you know who i am it it was a classic case of do you know who i am meets realpolitik Mm. and uh i can't remember and another person who was very much do you know who i am yeah yeah do you know who i am i'm the daughter of two queens do you know who i am i'm Basically, God now, because I've just decided. <laughs> yeah, I can't kill you because the people who are actually stronger than you, <laughs> God will hurt me. Uh, Bluebell pondered on the suffering of Catherine's daughter Mary, and as a I guess as a consequence of her actions, it would be good to understand why she was willing to die and her, have her own daughter killed, let alone disinherited, when she could have been the influential mother of the heir. What did Mary make of that, I wonder? How much did Catherine's upbringing with her fanatically religious parents, who, it could be argued, were a lot more psychopathic in applying their religious zeal than anything we've seen in England, uh, in England, including Henry's Reformation? For all of her skills at diplomacy and queenship, it seems completely nonsensical. Well, so she's saying that Catherine's parents were more radical than Henry? Well, they're the Spanish Inquisition. So in terms of, you know, that, as I said, sort of fanatically applying your religious demands on people as much they, as the Reformation's pretty extreme. I guess yeah. I think you could argue the Spanish Inquisition goes further than what Henry did. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But the point is less about comparing those two and it's more remembering that, that Catherine is the daughter of the monarchs mm. that did the Spanish Inquisition. So there is yeah. a fanatical zeal to her, the piety behind it, and wondering to the extent to which that maybe means that she doesn't bring the logic to the situation she might have done particularly she sort of retreated into religion a little bit oh definitely yeah that's all she had left by the end right it was sort of Mm. every day that passed was proving her piety more and more because you can then go into the whole being tested stuff Mm, gosh yeah they didn't stand a chance with that sort of 
thought process? Some people were quite taken with my point that you could argue Catherine inadvertently is a key figure in the Reformation taking place, which obviously is the mm. legacy she would have aboard, but because she makes it so hard for Henry, he goes to increasingly extreme circumstances to get what he wants. Uh, but not everyone thought that was fair, so Elizabeth of Warwick said, I think the issue was Catherine believed herself ordained by God to be queen. That's the crux. And Reformation still would have happened because Cromwell was intent on it. Yeah. So in other well, words, I even mean, if it hadn't happened at that moment, you'd still got people at court who were influential that wanted mm. it to happen. Perhaps it would have still happened anyway. Uh, and finally, uh, Lioness Feather. I find it a bit unfair to keep talking about how Catherine could have prevented the Reformation and all its horrors by just agreeing to an annulment, when we wouldn't say that Edward II could have avoided the horrors of that war by just agreeing to abdicate. Um, although, I guess ultimately he did agree to abdicate, but that was so that his son would succeed. Uh, rather than him uh after all catherine had been told she would be queen of england for almost as long as henry had been told he'd be king and she was doing a heck of a lot better plus in the end as you said who could have predicted henry would just throw out the rule book like that yeah definitely you can't yeah you can't predict that but i and i think she probably this always is a balance isn't it and she <laughs> probably just delayed it <laughs> it would you know if, yeah. if she would have it just would have happened but later mm. Also probably wouldn't have assumed that Henry really would be so committed to having to win that fight and having to have Anne Boleyn. You would have thought after a while, you'd have thought, oh, just whatever, fine. Yeah, yeah, because who would have... We know now all this stuff that Henry is, is the most <laughs> stubborn and tyrannical king that there ever was. But they were dealing with the logical Reformation prince. You know, and they just went odd. And I guess particularly of all the wives, Catherine's the one you can most forgive for not for the... But it's Henry. What do you expect? Because she knew him as the boy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah, all me. the others, you're like, why are you saying yes to this? You know what he did to the <laughs> yeah. others. Whereas, yeah, exactly. Uh, a couple of mes other messages from the episode. Uh, Fred Stover had this to say on what you could, I guess, call the original version of Six the Musical. Mm -hmm. Your Catherine Biography episode made me go back and listen to her track from Rick Wakeman's Six Wives of Henry VIII album. Of course he did. I could almost see the musical motifs tracking her life until the end when the music got rather triumphal and pleasant while her life did not. Yeah, I I mean, is there anything Rick Wakeman hasn't covered? <laughs> I bet he's got a little ditty on the Loch Ness Monster hidden away somewhere. Uh, and Timothy, going by the name Timunology. Nice. We'll see in a second why. Just checking in to say I was so stoked to hear Graeme discussing the possibility of the Kell antigen being responsible for Henry VIII's wife's multiple failed pregnancies. As an immunologist... I, I guessed. Hmm. I, I mean, I love it. Love it. Love the pun. I'm always happy to hear about my field in non-research setting. As a matter of fact, I use the example of Henry VIII to talk about autoimmunity in my lectures, and you got it spot on, even without including all the jargon I normally clutter it up with. <laughs> oh man, can we now be used for um, immunology lectures? <laughs> yeah, that would be impressive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and lastly, on Catherine of Aragon, a consort limerick from Louise Brimacombe. Of course! Catherine bravely and skillfully fought when confronting her husband in court. He just couldn't cope, so he broke with the Pope to obtain the divorce <laughs> that he sought. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. That's it, isn't it? It's, that's just. There you go. <laughs> just there's nothing else needed you're so right <sighs> spring is a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker. The Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, The Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Bada ba ba ba. Anne Berlin. Lots of people really enjoyed our three episodes on Anne Boleyn, and she is, of course, as I was saying, a favourite for many. As Kedcom says, Sometimes you want to recognise the unsung heroines, but of course the iconic queen, who started poetry in her own day and continues to be the star of books, TV shows and movies, also deserves the Rex Factor. She defines that certain something. I hope to see a final showdown of Anne versus Eleanor of Aquitaine. She's not getting Ali's vote. The big point in Anne's favour in when we get to the playoffs is which consort has more directly and significantly changed the course of English history. Oh, Anne. that's interesting way of looking at it, yeah. So in terms of an impact and a legacy. I mean, that's... I can't think of anyone hmm. who would be that. There you go. It's not the only reason to vote, of course, but that is she's got that in her locker. <laughs> If we're saying that she's responsible for it, I genuinely can't think of anyone who's had more of a single impact. I mean, of course, the argument is she's not solely responsible. You can say Henry VIII is more important. And, of course, Thomas Cromwell, Thomas Cranmer, so it's not just Anne Boleyn, but equally. Yeah, but she's the... the um, yeah, because there would be... She, she necessitates it. Mm. Uh, I mean, helped by her force of character. I mean, yeah, so actually, maybe just... She's the spark. She happens to be um, the the. She's a self lighting cord- spark. Exactly, she's self lighting, isn't she? She's, <laughs> she's. It could have been anyone, but mm. it really helped that it was her fanning that flame that she is blowing on herself. Yes. See. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, Stephanie Wiseman Anne definitely should have gotten 20 for battliness she literally changed the course of history she really would have been an amazing king she was forceful determined smart charismatic and actually quite devoted and compassionate she needed to be the star not a supporting character did I reckon it is yeah exactly that that she um, is can suffer massively from chips on shoulders and jealousies and Mm. uh, but if she's unequivocally the star she can allow herself to be uh, gracious and kind because yeah. mm. no one can assail her yeah. position a couple of people have had their minds changed on Anne first Joe the Riveting I was really shocked by Anne's humanist outlook I've read watched stuff on her for years but never really heard it mentioned 
Uh, Jenny, similarly, my feelings on Anne have shifted as I've got older. I always hated her for being the other woman and taking part in the adultery that saw Catherine Arrow get ousted. Plus, she sounded like the stepmother from hell. But I've softened towards her in adulthood. She could hardly tell the king no outright, and we have no idea if she initially welcomed his attention or was forced to accept it. And it's such a heartbreaking ending. Yeah, that final story is pretty powerful. Mm. However, not everyone is a fan. Nancy Walton said... For her comments wishing the Queen and the Princess dead and all the other crazy talks, she certainly could have been imprisoned. I just can't give her the Rex Factor because she was so stupid about Henry. Making enemies of powerful people, she had no friends, there was nowhere for her to go. She, her brother and innocent people ended up dead. Elizabeth was declared a bastard. What a mess. I'm afraid I can't get behind the Reformation as a good thing either. For all the art and history that was destroyed, the looting and destruction of the graves of previous kings and queens, all a huge loss and it all started with Anne. I, I mean, I think the last bit was a bit of a wildfire that regenerated the forest culturally <laughs> and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I am. For, I have. I've just slipped back into my previous assumptions of Anne. I I do now remember that I thought she was a bit of a boss. <laughs> I mean, I don't know where I'm going to be when you introduce these other people, Greg, but right now, uh, yeah, we are right. in Anne mode. Yeah, and for, I wanted to forget what I said about 10 minutes ago about uh, Catherine <laughs> and all that. It's all about Anne. Now we've got not one, but two limericks for Anne. First up, Rob Finch. Because, on, she wouldn't, because she wouldn't live in sin, that daughter of Thomas Boleyn, mm-hmm. Henry had to wed her to take her and bed her, so he created a new religion. <laughs> oh. Very good, very good, but that was, <laughs> that was fun. Have we got, is Louise Brimacombe going to do a mic drop here, though? <laughs> and wouldn't join Henry in bed, deciding to teach him instead. That a wife can be dumped when your romance has slumped, a lesson that cost her her head. <laughs> oh, blimey. Did, 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 I mean, does she have a full-time job as well as doing these? Because in, in all of the days that I'm alive, I'll never come up with that. <laughs> Jane Seymour. It was a tough act for Jane Seymour to follow Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn, but uh, Ashley Baker thought she deserved some credit for doing so. Just marrying Henry after seeing what he did to his last two wives should have given her a battling score of 20. I mean, she picked up the I Need a Son banner from the dead hand of the last holder, (laughs) almost literally lying right there on the battlefield and carried it straight into the mouth of the cannons. Yeah, that's that's a nice metaphor, isn't it? Hmm. Uh, similarly, Jennifer Vincent, I feel like you really dudded on her scandal score. How much more scandalous can you get than cavorting with the king while his actual wife is on trial for treason and adultery and then marrying him before her body is even cold? Even if Jane Seymour was just a pawn in her family's hands, that's mighty scandalous behaviour. Yeah. It is. Um, how, how long after Anne's burial did they marry? Um... The actual marriage, I think, is it about a week or ten days or something? But hen- they get the um, like permission to marry on the day. No. Oh man, that's oh, like really creepy, like horror film, horrible. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh, I don't like that at all, Graham. Hmm. Poor Anne. Yeah. 
I'm not sure that scandal for um, uh, um, Jane. Thanks, because she <laughs> is sort of. I feel like all the while she's being ha- having her hand held by the king and saying, "Come on." Yeah. But I was thinking that uh, it makes an awful. It would. It's sort of. I don't know what I mean. It makes sense that she died, or rather, it fits nicely. Yeah. That if it have started having to divorce another one or lop another one's head off at this point. Mm. I think people would have started to sit him down and ask some pretty serious questions. It was, but it, fa- it's good for the show of his life that narratively they found a different way to remove it. Yes, that's it. That's what I mean because I don't. They'd have been recommissioned for another series. Yeah. They'd have said, "How else?" It's like Dexter. You're going to have to get caught at some point, otherwise this will just go on forever. Uh, however, there was generally a sense that uh, she doesn't live up to what had gone before, and this was well expressed by uh, Erica Kane. Jane is an interesting mix of new and old or traditional. She followed the path that Anne set by refusing to become Henry's mistress and insisting on marriage. I think Jane lacks in comparison to Anne because she's just following in Anne's shoes. Mm. When Anne refused to be Henry's mistress, it was new, audacious and impressive. Plus, she kept him interested for years. Jane follows Anne's path and it's not impressive the way it was with Anne because it's not new. Yeah, it's definitely not. You have uh, a bit of first mover advantage there, but... Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose that that does hold some water, doesn't it? It's still, it's still. You I mean, I think that it's pretty impressive to be the second man on the moon. Yeah, second comes right after first. <laughs> like, yes, there you go. <laughs> A couple of people considered how Jane's legacy might have been different. Rebecca Parkinson focused on the impact of Jane's missing life, either the life she would have led. I wonder if she would have had any influence on Edward, i.e. Edward VI's religious beliefs, if she had lived, as she had more Roman Catholic tendencies, and Henry never fully committed to Protestantism. Perhaps Edward would have been less intensely Protestant. Or indeed, mm. if he's not Protestant at all. It, it does. It's going to breed extremes, this sort of behaviour, isn't it? One way or the other. And likewise, Eleanor looked to the next generation in terms of how it affects our view of the Queen's. I feel like one of the reasons Anne Boleyn gets so focused on in history is she was Elizabeth I's mother, and Elizabeth, quote, won, for lack of a better term. She was by mm. far the most successful of Henry's kids. I wonder if Edward had lived and Elizabeth never got a chance at the throne, if Jane would be better known. Some other points from Jane's episode. Emily picked up on the theme of death in childbirth. Mm. You touched on it in the episode, but one of the fascinating and infuriating things to me about Jane and her mother-in-law that we just mentioned, Elizabeth of York, uh, and their death, is that they were the first English queens to die in childbirth. And it's such a great counterexample to the Renaissance myth of actual life getting better for most people in a steady stream towards the present, starting with the end of the Middle Ages. Yeah. And of course, you can add Catherine Parr to that list, in, or not by Henry, but by Thomas Seymour after yeah. That. So that means three of the last seven consorts died in childbirth. And, of course, two of them don't have children, Anne of Cleves and Catherine Howard. So, effectively, three out of five. What is that? What's going on there? Well, ironically, at least with Jane and Catherine, I'm not sure if it's true of Elizabeth of York or not, it's thought to be the fault of the royal doctors and poor hygiene. But that that, wasn't So, actually, that a, lower, a lower-born woman probably would have got better service from a midwife oh, rather right, than a royal yeah. doctor. So it's almost because they were queen, they didn't get the appropriate mm. treatment. Mm. Um, but yes, but no, but it is, it is true. It's, it's easy to always paint everything as this natural, everything's getting better and better because we've got prettier fa- paintings and palaces. Nicer phones. Well, not so much then, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> Uh, on a cheerier note, Small Mammal really enjoyed your musical analogy. 
Jane Seymour as Blink-182 is just brilliant. Presumably Anne of Cleves' craftwork. Oh, gosh, I don't know. Um, why did I think there was... Bl- who? Because uh, uh, of the Anne, Anne Boleyn as a sort of the new... Like, it's a sort of a punk thing. I think you're saying that Anne Boleyn was the Ramones or the Sex Pistols or something, like the proper actual punk, whereas Jane Seymour okay. was a sort of a modern, sanitised interpretation. Oh, you know? yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that stands up. So what is he saying? Who's Kraftwerk? Anne of Cleves. Yeah, probably. I mean, makes sense, doesn't it? Germanic. Both both from Dusseldorf. Oh, Dus- really? Dusseldorf. Oh. Mm. Oh, it so makes sense that Kraftwerker from Dusseldorf. Mm, industrial. Yeah. Well, that's a fun game to play. <laughs> You'll have to do that for the other four now. Yeah. I, I mean, there is a chance that I just, I, I'm going to just drift off and think of, be thinking about well, that. Well, Catherine Howard obviously is Ariana Grande, not Miley Cyrus. Of course. I, I'm, I was starting right at the beginning, and I'm a bit... I'm a bit stuck to try and think of Catherine of Aragon as anything other than an actual Spanish Tudor lutist or something. <laughs> I think she's that traditional. It, it's that, and then Ariel, and then he gets his head turned by these pop stars. <laughs> uh, and we've again got two limericks, so Rob Finch again. The third of the eight wifely six didn't get many Rex Factor ticks. Bore him a son, but died after one, causing rather a dynastic fix. Very nice. Very nice. The sources record that. Uh, so sorry. So this is Louise Brimacom. Mm. The sources record that Queen Jane was dull-witted, low-born, and quite plain. But mm-hmm. with Henry, she scored for he had grown bored of having a wife with a brain. <laughs> <laughs> a yeah. harsh one. A harsh one on Jane. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And actually, it does make me realise that I did like... That was one of the reasons why I did like Anne, because she did have a brain. Hmm. Got to listen to Rex Factor. Or, or, or just... or just um, the, I'll, I'll scale back immediately and say I'll just listen to Louise's limericks. <laughs> Anne of Cleves. Anne of Cleves has a slightly different story to the other wives, and a lot of people rather enjoyed hearing it. So a cat writer said, My favourite of the six. Such a boss. She got the best result. Not with did us, she? but in terms of getting out of the marriage with Henry and then just getting money, but nice what about houses. Catherine? And uh, Catherine Parr ended up having a ni- nasty one after. Mm. Yeah, yeah, Okay, yep. Uh, poisonous old witch, uh, their words, not mine, spoke for many in being surprised at Anne actually wanting to be queen. She says, mm. I always liked Anne of Cleves because of the story of when she and Henry first met. I did not know that she desperately actually wanted to be married to him. Mm. That was a surprise. I think a lot of people wanted to give Anne some kind of credit for something, which was uh, summed up quite well by A Ninja. Mm. Does Anne deserve a high score? No. Does she deserve the Rex factor? Also no. But she definitely gets something for being a generally decent person and making the best of what could have been a terrible, head-choppy situation. Cleves. Got it. Yes, I was thinking you were looking confused. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so did she deserve the Rex factor? No. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's right, isn't it? That's a good summary. Hmm. Uh, Caitlin was one of many people who were kind of disappointed that Anne wanted to come back as Queen yeah. rather than just having jumped at the chance to get out and retire. Mm. Um, though it does have a fun theory behind it. I agree that her wanting to get back in the game works against her rexiness. However, I'd like to think that maybe that was a prank to make Henry squirm. I can imagine her, beer in hand, having a chuckle, telling her friends, let's pretend I want to be Queen again and see what he does. <laughs> Oh, 
if that's true, <laughs> then everything is flipped on its head again, and I'm back to thinking she's the best of the six. That uh, didn't come with any footnotes, that uh, message, so I fear perhaps just a flight of fancy. Oh, wouldn't that be great? It does seem that she's uh, she's pretty gung-ho with, uh, with Henry's... With the risks associated with being married to Henry. Mm. She just sort of takes it on, gets away with it, fancies another go. <laughs> you know, she, I don't think she's... Well, this she sees him as a... Rich. Little Renegade uh, um, wants to give her credit pretty much on, along those lines, saying this may be an unpopular take, but I kind of think she's badass for wanting to go back to Henry be queen again. Mm. She must have well known what happened to Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn, and she witnessed the downfall of Catherine Howard. She's the ultimate survivor, and even after being married to Henry's chaotic ass and seeing these other women go down, she thought, I got this. That's yeah. pretty freaking badass. Yeah. Uh, maybe it points to an element of... Um you know, she's slightly more power hungry than I'd given her credit for. Hmm. Oh, or she felt like she failed the first time. Louisa White had an interesting question about Anne's post-Queen life. Why wasn't Anne given a title such as Duchess of Richmond, etc.? She was the king's sister, but Henry didn't take great care of his sisters. Yeah, like his um, un, uh, legitimate son, his illegitimate son, hmm. sorry. Who was the Duke um, of Richmond. Yeah, you could just have Richmond as like this... Uh, sanitarium for all <laughs> yeah. uh, n- n- ex-persons ex sort relatives. of royal but not quite in the right way yeah you're my grey areas I mm. might need you later alright so luxury yeah but just don't go anywhere now I think technically the king's sister was an actual title i.e. you'd capitalise all the letters at the start <laughs> so okay. it's like the actual title she's given of the king's sister rather than simply something he says as pseudo affection Mm. she's generally styled the king's sister mm. but yeah so i suspect the motivation could be financial so henry does give anne a generous annulment settlement but if she become the duchess of such and such perhaps that would have necessitated more land more oh titles, yeah and, and also perhaps a certain amount of power or influence and that sort of thing maybe in terms of the marriage issue maybe it makes her a bit mm. more too a bit too well, attractive yeah. to people to think oh well i could become the duke of such and such and i could <clears throat> so maybe he just wants to keep her well off but isolated and contained. Erica Salazar was interested in the foreign policy aspect of the marriage and the impact this had on Cromwell's downfall. The point where Henry realises that he was risking war with the Holy Roman Emperor with the marriage and the Protestants were mad at him for not being enough of a Protestant did help me realise why Henry was mad at Cromwell over the whole thing. Mm. Still think executing Cromwell's a bit much. Well, it's just such a waste of talent, isn't it? It is really. Uh, it was interesting there was more to the failure of the marriage than just that first unfortunate meeting, but Aaron Brooks nevertheless had some thoughts on how that notorious first meeting could have gone better. Someone really should have been standing behind Henry with Anne when it was clear she wasn't getting it, pantomiming, putting a crown on his head and loudly shouting, Boy, I sure wish the king was here <laughs> right now with us in the room. Yeah, that would have done it. <laughs> uh, Katie Grace was one of many for whom the TV show The Tudors had left the world exposed towards Anne. While the Tudor TV series got a lot wrong, I liked Joss Stone in the role. I did. I think she conveyed the grace and kindness that Anne was known for. Yeah, I thought she was really good in that role. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eva Murphy enjoyed another one of your popular culture comparisons. Absolutely dying at Ali's instantly iconic and outstandingly accurate comparison of Henry VIII to David Brent in this especially awesome episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, A bit of punnage from the Flat Pack History of Sweden podcast. So they were saying, the scene right now in Stockholm. Chris, 
Shall we listen to Anne of Cleves for a bit? Orsa. Yes, please. Chris. You mean, yes, Cleves. Orsa. Ha, ha. Ah, I was going to say that. Thanks for the episode and setting the stage for the journey. Uh, uh, you, uh, <coughs> you two should never leave con- lose contact. <laughs> uh, and Consort Limerick from Louise. When Henry disguised first met Anne, she thought him a boorish old man. He got offended, and this quickly ended their romance before it began. I mean, does people write books that can't get that across? <laughs> <laughs> That's it, isn't it? I mean, she could do us another one for post-Henry uh, life if people wanted more detail. But, I mean, that's it. That's the stuff. Catherine Howard. I imagine a lot of people might have come into Catherine's episode uh, feeling a bit dismissive about her because mm. she's often sort of looked down as being the one that was guilty, etc. Yeah. But many people left feeling much more sympathetic. So Mackenzie Walton. I left with more sympathy for Catherine Howard than I expected. Poor kid. Yeah, that's definitely true. But also, the guilty thing doesn't leave. It's like someone, it's like a kindly teacher gives you a detention or something. Like, mm. you really mucked up here, mate. That's what she needed, not the head off. Uh, similarly, Jess Adeline says, there's been a lot of warranted rehabbing of Anne Boleyn over the last couple of decades, but Catherine Howard gets a lot of sympathy from me for being a victim of multiple men and ultimately being executed for it. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's much more mm. eloquently what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dominic Conquest was sympathetic, albeit that Catherine was ultimately of limited significance. It feels like if you took away her consortship, the impact on Henry's reign wouldn't have been that great. However, my heart breaks for her. Henry was a 50-year-old man and King of England. How could she possibly have said no, and what would they have had in common? Not at all surprising to me that she looked elsewhere for love, however foolish that is when you're dealing with a tyrant and a bully. Yeah. Oh, being left with a... Yeah... It's not. It's not good, is it? It's. It's the. It, mm. it leaves me really uncomfortable. That one. Sarah Gabriel's one of many took issue with how Catherine's been described by various historians of times past. Regardless of how young English women could be married at the time, we now we know now that she was developmentally still a child. Slut shaming her for what were at best coercive relationships due to the age and power imbalances is disgraceful. Thank you both for discussing the subject with a bit more compassion. It's a, it's difficult, isn't it? Because the 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 behaviours are the same as if it were a justified attack, but mm. actually there's so much more to it. There's so much, um, as I'm sure there are in all in all cases, but to then be remembered down the ages just for that mm. without all the mitigating circumstances, a bit grim. Uh, now, a controversial point here: Louise Brimacom has got something to bring to the table that isn't a console limerick. Well, I'm open to... I mean, if she's got business ideas, <laughs> come see me. She thought we overmarked Catherine for scandal, and this was a point oh. that you were making at the start of the episode. I said that we should park this, because it will come up later. Who did we overmark for Louis- scandal? Catherine Howard. Because you were saying how it seemed odd that Anne Boleyn and Catherine both got the same score for scandal. Did they? That's madness. <laughs> You've forgotten both from the episodes, and indeed from the start of the podcast yeah. where you were making that point. <laughs> Oh, there's so you ma- parked it so well that you've There's it was so many of them, Graham. I don't know <laughs> where we are in this whole thing. She, yeah, but well, Louise is going to put into words the. Well, what do I think, Louise and Graham? Please, 
I don't think I'd have given Catherine Howard the same scandal score as Anne Boleyn. Her affairs were more scandalous because they actually happened, but Anne had all sorts of other scandal. Catherine Howard didn't put years of effort into ousting an incumbent queen or celebrate when her predecessor died. And Anne took on numerous powerful men at court, the established church, the Pope and even the emperor. Incredibly scandalous behaviour for a 16th century woman from a relatively modest family background. I mean, completely. And and the consequences, whether she was... She, uh, even if she was just an accelerant onto that mm. fire, the, I mean, it's it's so much bigger than just having an affair, especially as the only other difference between that and other affairs is that she gets her head taken off. I think that is... The, but so does Anne. Well, she does. I think it's a thing for me that it's... It doesn't seem ridiculous to me that... Although it was a tricky one, so Catherine Howard and that question of the age and the coercive behaviours and all that sort of stuff, but... It, it would seem odd if the Queen of England has a, an affair against the king and ends up with her head cut off and she doesn't get a score out of 20 score for scandal. Yeah. It's, it would seem odd that you could do that and not get 20. That feels like that's it. Bang. Scandal. It's almost more that Anne needs somehow to go mm. above 20. Yeah, and then we get into a ludicrous situation. It's almost like you need a... Uh, so it feels like they should have some sort of Henry VIII handicap... Uh, so they can be compared to the other other consorts, mm. but it's it's absolutely um, peculiar, as you say, that that can be a situation where we're not giving that full points just because the other stuff on either side is so magnified. Because mm. Anne was accused of the same stuff and mm. met the same end, but also changed the or had a part in changing the course of history in England and. And the irony, of course, most people think Anne Boleyn not guilty of yeah. committing adultery on Henry. That's quite, it's quite a... Um, I mean, I guess we've got an out in that we can say it is scandalous to have an affair and have your head cut off in yes. any in any time. Mm. Imagine that happened now. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, or, or even sort of the first monarch we did. Imagine that, if he lopped his wife's head off. Exactly. We were like, blimey. Yeah. Um, so we we got ourselves covered, but I do feel like the um, thermometer ball at the top has been smashed somewhat by Anne. Yeah, I think it's possible that you can get the same score, but or that you can max out, but that one is more scandalous than the other. Yeah, that's what I mean. And of course, Louise has also done a a consort limerick. Yes. Okay, good. Unfortunately, she hasn't yet done Catherine Parr. Oh, man. So I can't round it out. I thought, shall I message her and say, if you could Come do on, the sixth up. one? But I thought, that's, that's, <laughs> it's not how genius works. No. Young Catherine was fond of flirtation, which led to her swift elevation. But having a fling once she'd married the king was a terminal miscalculation. <laughs> very good. Very good. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. That's how it's done. Catherine Parr. A lot of people were surprised by how much they enjoyed Catherine Parr. Uh, Renee said, I was really surprised how much I ended up being a bigger fan than I was in the past of Catherine Parr. Uh, likewise, Joanne van der Liedem, a great miniseries. I found Catherine Parr far more interesting and surprising than I expected. Yeah. Uh, Nicola Derber, loving the podcast. Catherine Parr, my favourite. I learned so much more about her. And uh, Alex says Catherine Parr was damn good. After the expected Rex Factor winners, I thought we were done. So nice surprise to round it out with. And of course, Victorians ruined our perception of her. 
Yeah, it was good to finish with a with a, a good one, wasn't it? Hmm. David Marlin said, this is what Rex Factor really does well. Here is a consort that has been largely dismissed by history as little more than a nursemaid to an ill-aging tyrant, and Rex Factor has uncovered for us a completely different story of a clever woman with agency. The fact that she came close to the fate of Anne Boleyn should have told us that she was making sufficient impact to incur the ire of an influential faction, but also that she was clever enough to avoid her predecessor's fate. Mm. She's brilliant. And Kirsten Jensen, this has been the most surprising podcast of all. Catherine Parr definitely deserves the Rex Factor. I think that she is the best of all six wives, and it's probably due to her more mature age and life savvy that she brought to that marriage. She is the prototype of the modern woman who knows what she wants, goes for it, and in some parts also gets it. And at the same time does all this so it can benefit others. She's amazing. She is, isn't she? She feels more uh, modern somehow. Yeah. Yeah, she feels more like the one you can imagine actually talking to and mm. being pally with. Mm. Jenny Cannock took issue with our battliness score for Catherine. Sure, she didn't get a chance to command, quote, an army the way Catherine of Aragon did, but I don't imagine many of the consorts going forward will get a chance to either. But in terms of personal agency, I don't see how you could do much better. Just getting herself uncancelled by Henry, in the choppy-choppy mm. sense, was a huge feat. Throw in being the first published woman, engaging in a very dangerous theology because she believed it was right, and marrying the man she wanted with indecent haste, even if he did turn out to be a massive turnip. <laughs> she didn't give a hoot what anyone thought. She's agency personified. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And it is it is such a shame that he was such a root veg. Indeed, others do pick up on Thomas Seymour was a bit of an issue. Uh, Brooke Schubert also really liked Catherine, but not so much him. Imagine what she could have accomplished as queen if her husband hadn't been a dying tyrant limiting her power. Thomas Seymour seems to be her only mistake. Even smart women occasionally fall for a sexy scoundrel, unfortunately. Yeah. Likewise, Melanie, Melanie Jackson noted, if only she hadn't married Thomas Seymour, proving that love can make really smart women stupid. Maybe that's it. Maybe that she just had a type. I mean, Henry VIII wasn't, <laughs> you know, wasn't a, a catch. I mean, and, and also not really one that she particularly wanted. <laughs> no. Oh, well, yeah. Elizabeth very much has that taste as well. Well, I mean, literally, obviously, with Thomas Seymour, but, um, you know, Robert Dudley... It's quite mm. a rake as well. She she does tend to be attracted to that sort of dashing, good-looking, rakish sort. Well, she's got to have a, a chink in her armour, doesn't she? And it turns out that that's it. Her uh, is for um, this hmm. this toad. Elaine McCulloch was one of many to be wowed by this fact. I did not know she was Catherine of Aragon's goddaughter, and that it was only those two who were regent. Excellent Rex facts. Although Anne Boleyn is still my favourite wife. <laughs> Uh, and Linda pondered on what might have been for Catherine. What if she had been named regent? She would have had an enormous influence on Edward, and from what we've seen, it would have been very positive influence. On the other hand, we may also have gotten Thomas Seymour as co-regent, or perhaps her position would have kept her from marrying him. If she hadn't married Thomas, she would most likely have lived much longer and had an even greater influence on Edward and Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. I think it would it would have been great, yeah, without Thomas, mm. but I worry that... Without Elizabeth coming first and showing that there could be a queen, it's unlikely they'd have let her be sole uh, regent. regent. Even if Henry's will had specified that, yeah. I think would have changed it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's something for us to ask as Analypticon about, because she's also written a book about Henry's will. Oh, right. You were in good form with your sort of contemporary-ish comparisons in this miniseries, and I think we mentioned this already, but one of uh, the favourite from the series, as reacted to by Heather Wallace... Listening to Catherine Parr and blimey, she's actually Dolly Parton. 
She is. J.H. Mallet said, Please that even across the ocean the good works of St. Dolly are well known. Mike Hammock said, I would pay to hear Graham and Ali try to read that summary of Catherine in a Texas accent. <laughs> Matthew Constable asks, Are you suggesting that had Henry lived any longer, we would have had a Queen Jolene? Very nice. And uh, finally, Michelle Gibson, Yee-haw, it's Catherine Parr. Thank you, Ali, for a phrase that will be used by me from this moment forward any time I discuss Catherine Parr. Well, it's a little helpful aid memoir, isn't it? Mm. I imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Correspondence Corner. So that was our Right to Reply episode on The Six Wives of Henry VIII. Let us know if you enjoyed this episode and if you've got any further thoughts or questions on uh, Six Wives. As we said, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at RexFactorPod. Like RexFactorPodcast Facebook page or email RexFactorPodcast.hotmail.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe on whatever podcast provider you use or donate monthly to join the Privy Council and get nearly 150 bonus episodes at patreon.com forward slash rexfactor. And we have some new Privy Councillors to welcome to the fold. Bluebell, Eleanor Toms, Ian Rowe, Jose, Lady M, Gil Panic, Jacko Parco, Jennifer Royds, Rachel Dent, Kristen Tibbetts Moritz, Jana Vold. Vicky, Keely Burton, Manu Duss, Holly Byrne, Caitlin Fry, Suzanne Dopka, Marcus Royce Fulton, James Blair, Brian Burke, Paige Minor, Ross Graham, Jennifer Simpson, Christoph Gobel, and Travis Yonamura. Rise one and all and take your, uh, what's it, rightful place, and remember to uh, link your Patreon account to discord so that you can join in with all the jibber jabber that's all from us today we're moving into a run of uh, interviews and bits and bobs now before we do a special episode on Catherine de medici for patrons or anyone uh, to purchase for which we'll share a preview after which we will then begin on our next mini series of the Stuart consorts albeit still with a little bit more tudors to finish off but until then that's it for the six wives of henry the eighth and for today's goodbye from us cheerio